Thessalonians. Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ our King. We are so excited for this opportunity to share the Word of God with you through your favorite program, The Moment of Truth. We are at a critical moment in God's plan for humanity, and God is said to do awesome things in and through individuals, families, communities, organizations, nations, continents, and across generations. As we proclaim the Word of God in the following series, you are going to receive illumination and direction, especially those in the Valley of Decision, and hopefully you'll be accurately positioned for the current move of God. So, sit back and relax. Go ahead, call your family and friends, and get ready for a life-changing encounter with the Word of God. As you do, your life will never be the same again. Let's put our hands together even as we make welcome. Pastor Simeon Afolabi. God bless you, sir. Hallelujah. Well, um, I'm here live today. Uh, why I said I'm here live today is because I'm here online every Sunday. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And I know every Sunday we receive the, uh, the Davidic blessing from Pastor. As soon as he steps here, we say, good morning, God bless you. Uh, I also want to tap into that blessing this morning. Is that okay? I will say, good morning, God bless you. Say to your neighbor, peace to you. And peace to all that you are. That lets you know that I'm here every Sunday. Praise the name of the Lord. Um, for me, it's always a very, very big honor. To be, and I say that with every, every strength in me. A great honor to be associated with God's servant, Dr. Tony Bakari, and then to be part of this house. Like Pastor Ike said, uh, a stranger here, a son in the house. And we try to imbibe everything that we can export to better what God has called us to do. So when I came in this morning and they said, oh, what time you like to enter the hall? I said, no, I want to be from the announcement. Because every time I enter, I take note. I observe and learn things that we can incorporate and then get what we're doing better. I really appreciate God's servant. I believe his spirit is with us today. And I don't take this um, privilege for granted. Part of the problem I have anytime I stand here, classic, apostolic, uh, summing, whatever meeting, is that the, one of the highs we used to play with in classic resurfaces? The intimidation. <laughs> you know, it has a classic, has several eyes. It's interactive, it's intensive, it's international. And then there's one high that is really, really intimidating. Because every time you listen to God's servant and he combs scripture back and forth. You want to find out what exactly do you have to say. But I trust God that uh, the one who used a donkey to speak. I will say something this morning 
Maybe a scripture you have read. Maybe it will just jump at you in a new light. And then I believe God will bless us together. Our Father, we thank you for this morning and the privilege we have to gather at your feet. We commit this moment to you. That you will say everything to everyone here gather. You cause everyone here to hear you in their language. But that was what it happened on the day of Pentecost. They had you in their language. Someone's language here may be in the realm of health, marriage, finance, career, whatever the language is, Lord. Let people hear you in their language today. Give me all trance and help me by your spirit to communicate your word accurately. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. All right. Let's check the scripture. Matthew chapter 16 is our takeoff scripture. From verse 13. Yeah, from verse 13. Matthew 16 from verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. He said to them. But you. Who do you say. That I am. Simon Peter answered and said. You are. The Christ. The son. Of the living God. Hallelujah. Jesus asked the disciples what the opinion of the people were about him. And they have hazarded a whole lot of guests. Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, or any one of those prophets. You fall into that category. Okay, that's them. How about you? What do you Think I am. It was at that moment Peter said. You are the Christ. And we know he spoke by the revelation of the spirit. As Jesus later testifying. The flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. My father. Now the first thing I want us to understand. Or to focus on this morning. Is the issue of identity. When Jesus asked the people. The disciple. Who do men say that I am. Is an issue of identity. How do the people. Identify me. How do they relate to me. Now the issue of identity. On a general note these days. Is very important because identity can moderate behavior. Identity has a way of moderating 
behavior. If you know, uh, there are some people here who will not do certain things because of who they are. This is by the way, and on a lighter note, and I hope that won't be obscene enough. Let me use me. What will cross your mind if you chance me on this road any day? By the gutter, and I'm trying to ease myself there. No, I'm just, this is me, not pastor, me. I'm seeing people shaking their head. Now, why are you shaking your head? Unexpected, unbecoming, I'm seeing all manner of grammar here, unbecoming, unexpected. It's not hard enough, not hard enough to the person you think I am. So the issue of identity is very important because it has the power to moderate behavior. The example I gave, do people do it? Men particularly, do they do it? That's just done anyhow. And you know those who do that have not been able to really come to understand who they are. It doesn't, for them it's a normal thing. Who do men say that I am? Your identity, your understanding of your identity can moderate behavior. Among other things. Same way, if you see me in a fisticuff with someone. And I hold the bus conductor. This 15 naira, you must give me the change. <laughs> and then you stop and say, excuse me, what, what's the matter? Say, I, I gave him, I gave him 500 naira. Uh, the change remains. Uh, he should give me 350. He gave me 300 and he's refused to give me 50. 50 couple. Uh, what will be your reaction? You probably say, this man does not even know himself. First thing about identity, it has power to moderate behavior. Identity, the subject of identity is also important because apart from moderating behavior, it sometimes defines responsibility. The identity of a man or woman at the place of work might, might help you to define responsibility. That's very crucial. And I like to have this at this preliminary stage that when it comes to the issue of identity, the father. Has the final shape. I'm going to give you an example of this. So we can understand what I mean. When it has to do with identity. The father. 
has the final say. Two examples. Rachel, after a long wait, gave back to her son, Joseph. And while he was, she was giving back to Dan, first son, she prophesied, the Lord will have to me another child. That other child came, but at the time she was giving up. When she was delivering the child, the addition, uh, she named the child Benoma. It's a child of my sorrow. But the father said, no, this child will be called Benjamin. So which one prevailed? Benjamin prevailed because on the issue of identity, the father has the final say. Now, John was born... And this time Zechariah had been dumb. You know, when the angel came, Zechariah, your prayers are hard. Your wife Elizabeth will conceive and give birth to a baby. He called his name John. And then the man was questioning, how will that be? And then God struck him with dumbness. Sometimes, you see, God seems to, you see God do something and it's like God is taking some extreme measure. You're wondering why God had to shut him off for that length of time because God didn't want him to use his mouth to abort the baby. He didn't want him to use his mouth to abort the miracle. Sometimes if believers will keep quiet, I think the miracles will happen faster. Because the man had waited and waited and given up hope. God said at this stage, if this man keep talking loosely, I bought what heaven is doing. So we shut him up. John was born and they said on the eighth day, what shall we call this child? And the mother said, John, in line with what the angel said. And I said, no. No one in your generation, no one in your lineage had ever been called John. We had always known you to be Zechariah. So we told him it could have been Zechariah 1, Zechariah 2, Zechariah 3. Said, so, no, this one will be John. And as they were arguing, they said, okay, well, let's ask the father. So they gave a slate to the father to find out what he should be called. And then he wrote the name John. And John stayed. On the issue of identity, the father has the final say. Now that is on the human level. But I'm saying spiritually also, it is not what they call you that you are, is what the father calls you. So you don't have to fight. And then somebody called you something you feel that's not right. And you are, and you are angry. And they say, no, you don't bother about what they call you. Be concerned about what the father says. You know, when Jesus died and was buried, uh, the eve of the resurrection, he said, you know what? It's almost three days that this deceiver had died. <laughs> but the father said, this is my beloved son. In whom I'm well pleased, hear him. So, uh, between uh, the Jews and the soldiers who call him deceiver, and the father who called him my beloved son, which one holds sway? What the father says, friends, what the father says about you is what counts. And the father is saying good about you. Identity moderate behavior, identity defined responsibility. The issue of identity, the father has the final say. 
It's not what they say about you. It's what God says about you that counts. Hallelujah. Okay. Let's turn this issue around. Jesus said, Who do the crowd say I, the Son of Man, am? Today I'm not particular about the identity of Jesus. I'm particular about our own identity. And I'm not talking about our identity in relation to what the crowd say about us. I'm interested in our identity as defined by God. So Jesus said, who do the people say I, the son of man, am? If we can flip the question and ask ourselves this morning, who does the father say that I am? Who am I? Who are we? Let's, let's use the word. Who are we? What does the father call us? How do you, how do we relate? How do we carve out? How do we understand our identity as defined by the father? I know there might be various answers, various options. But I have a line of thought this morning. And I want to tell us what we are. In the eye of God. And in the plan of the almighty God. I ask for something to be brought out here. And I want. Thank you. Who? Father say that we are huh? every one of us each one of us represent a link in the chain. That's who we are. A link in God's long prophetic chain. That's how heaven sees us. And I just pray we'll be able to catch this truth today. Maybe it's going to bring some adjustment to our understanding, to our perspective, and the way we relate to each other, and then relate to the work of God. We represent, each of us represent a link in the chain. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15, at verse 18. I believe this scripture will help us to understand that everything is 
laid up and lined up in a long prophetic chain of activities. And in his own wisdom and mercy, he has put each of us at some point of the chain to be a link. Known to God from eternity. Are how many? Some of his works. Many of his works. Known unto God from eternity are all his works. In other words, God strewn his work together. From eternity past to eternity future. And then he brings us in as actors and operators at different stages. You are a link in these works of God that have been known from all eternity. I'll take us to scripture. We'll examine in some cases. We'll take some cases for study. And then we'll be able to appreciate these a little more. In the case number one. That's the story of Abraham. God said to Abraham that his offspring will be strangers. In a strange land, they will be holed up in a strange land for 400 years. The time that God was speaking to Abraham, not even Isaac had been born. But 400 years down the line, God has built this prophetic chain and has, in his own wisdom, arranged operators and actors at each stage to bring that word to pass. Thank you. Then he said to Abraham, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Thank you. They will be in a strange land. They'll be there 400 years. That's already arranged prophetically. But look at the process. Before that word would be fulfilled, Isaac had to come. Before that word would be fulfilled, Jacob had to come. And before that word could be fulfilled, Joseph had to be born. So, Joseph, who eventually preceded them to Egypt, became the link to fulfill the word that has been spoken for more than four or five hundred years. Uh, I don't know whether I'm making sense here. Joseph was a link in that chain. Known unto God 
from eternity are all his works. All his works have been arranged and he has arranged actors at every turn of the way. Every job, every, every, every turn of the way, there's an actor who is to connect to the last thing and connect to the last thing and connect to the last thing and connect to the last thing until the full counsel of God is fulfilled. Let me cue back here. Did Joseph realize that it was a link in the chain? Not in the beginning. Later, maybe the understanding done on him, but not in the beginning. You know how I know he wasn't aware he was a link. He was a chain in the prophetic link that has been spoken in the days of his grandfather. The Bible says when they were to sell Joseph to Egypt, he began to beseech them. Please don't, don't, send, don't send me away. Don't, don't let me go that way. And you know, years later, after the, 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 the purpose of God had been fulfilled, and then his brothers came to Egypt, uh, uh, they were saying, when Joseph was trying to play some pranks on them, he said, oh, no, you know, you know, Nemesis are caught up with us eventually. Because we saw the travail of his soul on that day when he was begging us. If somebody had told Joseph, Joseph, you are going to Egypt because you're a chain, you are a link in the chain. You think he will be that stressed up? I don't think so. Many of the things when we get walked up and get tired and get discouraged, not knowing what is happening, is because we don't realize that we are a link at a particular prophetic chain of what God is doing. It was years later. And I'm not sure Abraham told Isaac, I'm not sure Jacob told Joseph of the outstanding prophecy that our generation or our offspring of Abraham will be in a strange land. I'm not sure they told him the story. Many of the things, don't you think that many of the things of God will get to understand them in retrospect? Oh, so this is what God was doing. Now I know. It took years for Joseph to realize that he was a link in the chain. And, and when his brothers were now at, at, at loggerheads with each other, he said, no, 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 no. Don't fight yourself. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. God sent me ahead of you to preserve your posterity. Now the picture is clear. That finally, and I think it was that time when Jacob got to Joseph, the Bible didn't tell us, but I perceive that's what happened when the Jacob got to Joseph. Joseph, now I understand. Your great grandfather told me that God told him that his offspring will be in Egypt, in the strange land. Oh, this could be the fulfillment of that which was spoken. Friends, when I'm summing up today, part of the thing you'll be hearing is that your story did not begin with your story 
and your story does not end with your story. You're a link in the chain. Let's take the second example. And you begin to understand some things when, uh, when you see God getting, it's like God is, is extreme, some extreme measure, some issue. You want to understand. But by the time you begin to understand that he put things together in a long chain, putting actors at different stages of the, sta- of the chain, and things begin to make more sense. Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17 from verse 8. The Bible talks about a battle there. The first battle Israel faced actually when they came out. Uh, it's also part of the chain. Yes, you'll be in the strange land 400 years after that. I visit the nation. I'll bring you up, bring you out with great wealth. So now, the 400 years had passed. Israel had left Egypt. And then this is the first assault that they faced. Exodus 17. Let's read. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out of fight and with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. Moses, Aaron and all went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Earl supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Verse 14, take notice. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Unprovoked. Amalek just got up to fight these fledgling nation. And God said, write it down in the book. Realize it in the ears of Joshua. That I will wipe up the memory of Amalek. Now, if you were Joshua, and Moses kept realizing in your ears, the Lord will wipe up Amalek. The Lord will wipe off Amalek. What will you think? Huh? That he will use you now to do it. That the world did not find fulfillment until about 500 years later. How do I know? Well, after Moses, Joshua took 
over the reign of leadership. And he was leading them for how many years? Maybe another 40 years or so. And then after Joshua, the Bible says he appointed judges. And judges led Israel for 450 years. After the judges 450 years, Israel said, give us a king. And then Saul was chosen to be the king. And it was Saul. God said, hey, Saul. There's something in the prophetic chain that has not been fulfilled. I said years ago, I'm going to wipe off the memory of Amalek. You get up, go and do it. Was Saul, was Saul alive? When the word was spoken? No. The one in whose ears the word was spoken, was it done in their days? The work of God is a continuum. God's work is a continuum. It doesn't start with Moses or Joshua. It, 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 it didn't begin with us. It won't start with us. We are only privileged actors at various stages of this long prophetic chain. Because known unto God are all his works from eternity past. Now you will understand why God was quite severe with Saul. So when God said to Saul through Samuel, Hey, get up now. You go to Amalek and go and destroy them. Wipe them off. Men, women, children, animals. Get them all clean. For Samuel 15, Saul went and destroyed all the people. Spear Agad the king. The Bible says he destroyed all the worthless things and then kept what he thought was precious. The fatted calves. He kept them. And the night God came to Samuel, Summer, I'm sorry I miss all king. I'm so sorry. I made Saul king. He's disobeyed me. He's turned back from following me. So in the morning, Samuel got up and went to see Saul. And as Saul was coming to the hey, blessed be of the Lord. Oh, well, I've done the commandment of the Lord. And then Samuel said, you've done the commandment. So what is this bleating of the goats in my ear? It's like, as soon as I have done the word of the Lord, one goes, amen. And says, so what's this bleating I'm hearing? Oh yes, we truly did all that God commanded. But the people said we should spare the fatter calf as sacrifice to God. Meanwhile, the word of the Lord says, I will wipe off everything, the memory of Amalek. So when Saul speared Agag and the fatter calf, he was dealing on a dangerous terrain because he was trying to make the word of God fall to the ground. And God will have none of that. God will have none of that. And then he said, oh, it's too much, Saul. First time in 1 Samuel 13 when he forced himself to sacrifice, God gave him a yellow card. This time around when he was walking towards making the word of God fall to the ground, red card straight. 
I've taken the kingdom from you. I've given it to a better neighbor of yours. A man who will do according to all that is in my heart. I'm not looking for those who will do my will partly. I'm not looking for partial obedient servant. I'm looking for a servant who will totally commit to my plan and my purpose. What are we saying about Saul? Saul was almost becoming a weak link in the chain. And I think they say that the chain, the chain does what? Breaks at its weakest point. That's why God was severe with Saul. I spoke this word. My word will not return to me void. My word will not fall to the ground. My word will prosper in the purpose for which I sent it. And you were trying to mess that up. Saul was just a link in that long chain that began hundreds of years even before he was born. Maybe one, two examples more from the New Testament and then we begin to tie this thing up and then we do one or two prayers together as we bring the service to a close. In the New Testament, we found that Peter was meant to be a link in the chain that will bring salvation to Cornelius and his household. And when we are praying, uh, when I'm summing up, I'm going to emphasize the place of prayer, the need for us to pray and sustain prayer. You get to understand this from this story. The Bible makes us to understand. In Acts of Apostles chapter 10. Introducing us to a man called Cornelius. An official in the Roman army. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. A centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household. Who gave hands generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the night hour of the day, he saw clearly in the vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your arms have, have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose son name is Peter. He is lodging with Simon Etana, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Roll it by or roll it down and let's see. After God had finished talking to Cornelius, now there was a man who needed to be part of that prophetic event to bring it to pass, and that was Peter. Now, a little before that, let's see the, the beginning of the vision. Yeah. Now, Peter had a vision. A voice came to him Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything come around clean. And the voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. 
This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen men, behold the man who had been sent from Cornelius and made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon whose surname was Peter was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise therefore, go down and go with them. Doubting nothing, no argument, for I've sent them. Now let's stop with that. Peter was chosen of God and to be in that chain, that chain that will lead to the salvation the, of Cornelius and his household, but it was not an easy thing for God to get him persuaded. God knew that this would be a tough call, so he began with a vision. All kinds of animals descending from four corners, and then the voice said, Rise, Peter, eat. And he said, No, Lord. Rise, Peter, eat. He said, No, Lord. The third time, Rise, Peter, kill, and he said, No, Lord. Since my youth, I've never eaten anything come around clean. And God sent a warning. Whatever God has cleansed, don't make a mistake of calling it common. He didn't understand it until the visitors came. You're going to find out even in Cornelius' house, Peter was a reluctant servant. It's one reason why we will pray. And I will get that in a moment. Have you ever seen a man introduce a message the way Peter did he got to Cornelius' house. Hey, Cornelius, you yourself know that it's unlawful for a man that is a Jew to have anything to do. Is that how to start a message that will lead to salvation? <laughs> that is how reluctant some link in the chain of your life Are we making any sense? <laughs> Some link will be very tough. All tough is mild, stubborn. There is a link in that chain of what God wants to make happen. But he needs some persuasion, some pressure. And that was the link in that chain. I'll give you another example. Saul of Tarsus had been breathing persecution against the church. You have the story. Those who killed Stephen actually laid down their garments at the feet of Saul. And then in Acts chapter 9, on his way to Damascus now with authority to go and bind those who belong to the way and hold them captive. Right there, in the midday, the Lord met him and struck him down. The first thing that happened, he lost his eye. 
I believe God was trying to make him close his vision to the past life and the past activities. In three days time, a new vision will open, a new vista, a new world will open unto the apostle, the soon-to-be apostle. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And they said, who are the Lord? Say, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's a dangerous thing for any man to kick against the prick. Now get up. Move into the city. It shall be told you what you have to do. After that, you know, we just need God to help and God to give us understanding. Because, you know, after God had finished talking with Cornelius, he needed to go walk on Peter. Sometimes some delays we have in life has nothing to do with God. It has to do with one link somewhere who is not cooperating fully with God. And it will take God some time to walk on them and get them submit to his will and to his plan and to his purpose. So God walked on, on Cornelius and showed him what was coming and God had to go walk on Peter. Now God walked on Saul now, the link in that chain was Ananias, a disciple in the city. And the Lord came, Ananias, arise, go to the street called Straight. Go ask one soul of Tarsus. Behold, he's praying, and he has seen in a vision a man called Ananias walking in, laying hand on him that he might receive sight. And Ananias said, uh, Saul of what? Saul of where? It's like God, you want me home now? You want to call me back to heaven today? I have had so many dangerous things about this man. All the things I had, he did them without warrant, without authority. Now, he has a warrant in his hand. He has an authority to do what he wants to do. Is that where you say I should go? Lord, if you want to kill me, just tell me now. God said, go. It's a choosing version of my head. So, so God had to walk on that, on that link. So that the purpose of God and be fulfilling that life. Friends, everyone, every human being, particularly every redeemed child of God is a link somewhere in the prophetic chain in the activities of God and not all cooperate all the time, but that's who we are. How does God see us? He sees each of us as a link. In the chain. Let's try to put these thoughts together. Let's sum these things together. And this will lead us to do one or two prayers. What are the implications. Of saying. We are each a link. In the chain. Number one. I am not the chain. 
No one is. No one by himself or ourself makes the old chain. Rather, everybody is a link in the chain. No one, there's no one who knows it all. There's no one who has it all. Everyone is just a link somewhere in the long chain of the activities of God which he had organized from eternity past to eternity future. Number two implication of this or what we have been saying is this. I am an important chain or an important link, beg your pardon. You are an important link but not an indispensable one. You are an important link in the chain but not an indispensable one. So, Saul was an important link in the prophetic chain of God. Uh, but, and the Bible makes us to understand, and after he had removed Saul from the chain, he said, I have found David. I found me a man, David, the son of Jason. A man who will do all that is. A, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Not so, all my will. Now, I have found David, a man after my heart. He's a man who's always probing to find out what is next in my heart. One. And then not only that, after he has known what is in my heart, he runs ahead to do all. So, you remove one link, you replace it with another. You are an important link, but not indispensable. Jesus was going to Jerusalem in what we call a triumphant entry. And then the children were singing and celebrating. Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! Hosanna! And I said, tell this one to keep quiet. Say, you know what? There's a replacement. If this one should keep quiet. The stones will immediately rise up and do the same thing. You're an important link, but not an indispensable one. And that's why we cannot afford to mess up in anything they ask us to do. Because if we stop doing it, others will come. I, I have a humorous way of illustrating this. And I say, you know what? When you stand to watch, you watch, you watch a football match, you watch soccer. The moment you see some people by the sideline stretching their leg, the coach has seen someone messing up. 
He's only concerned in the next five minutes that if this boy continues like this in the next five minutes, we will take him from the chain. And you know, you know, those who are on the sideline are always very eager to enter. So when the finally they show the board and ask the player to come out, that one that is coming out is dragging, is frowning his face, is dragging his leg. The other one said, "Let me also taste this action. Come, come, come out. God will not replace you. No one will take your place." I said in this prophetic event and the great work God is doing in this house, no one will take your place. Because there's always an arrangement to remove one from the chain and get another one. They said it about Judas. Let his habitation become desolate and his bishopric let another take. You're a link in the chain. Very important. You don't constitute the old chain. You're part of it. You're not indispensable. I think that's humbling. Number three. You cannot fully understand your life from your worldview alone. Since you are a link in the chain, you cannot completely understand your life from your worldview alone. I don't know why that makes sense. Joseph saw Two dreams. All of them pointing upward. The binding of the sheaves. The binding of the sheaves of the brothers to his own. The stars. The sun and the moon. Bowing to his own star. These are all upward looking dreams. But everything he saw in his life was nose diving. Downward spiral. Downward spiral. Have you met anyone who said, I don't even understand my life? Is it, as you're seeing me like this. Maybe somebody said, You man, I don't even understand you. And then I said, Even me, myself. <laughs> so if you don't understand me, you're, you have no say. Because even me, I don't understand myself. Because we are all involved in God's prophetic chain. If you try to understand your life in isolation, it won't make many.
Perhaps the things you are going through now is connected to someone who is coming after you. Either in your department, in your, in your family or somewhere. So if you are trying to interpret your life by yourself all alone in isolation, you might not find meaning to your life. That's why I said some of the things of God, we only understand and appreciate them in retrospect. Oh, now I see. So this is it after all. What number are we? Yes, as they asked me for the days. What what we're talking about? A link in the chain. That's 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 what we're talking about here. Each of us represent a link in the chain. A link in the prophetic chain of God. The fourth or the fifth thing, no, number four, at every given moment. You are either at the beginning of a thing, in the middle, or at the end of it. Either God is using you to initiate something along the prophetic chain, or God is using you to continue something that has been initiated, or God wants to use you to complete something that has been started. Your life cannot be understood alone. said all of these certain necessities there's some things that become necessary in order for us to be on the same page with God get the fullness of blessing from him and then be a mighty blessing to others there are certain necessities which I want to leave with us in closing, number one is the necessity of obedience. Failure to obey may constitute a weakness in the chain. So obedience He's important. Why is obedience also important? Obedience is important because without obeying God promptly, I may be delaying the work of God in someone's life. If I am a link in the chain of what God is doing in your life and God has started prompting me and I keep dragging my food, I am delaying you. I don't know whether I'm making sense. So obedience is important. Next necessity is the necessity of patience, which is just the reverse of that. So if I'm waiting on God for something, I want God to do something, and then he has lined up a chain. And it's like 
this thing I'm expecting has not manifested. What am I expected to do? I keep on with patience. I keep on taking advantage of the moment to build character, to build the fruit of the spirit, to wait on him, to land a weight on him. The Bible says we should not be slothful. In Hebrews 6, 12, I suppose, don't be slothful. Let's be followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, there's necessity of obedience on your part so that your brother or your sister that God has linked you up with will not in the harrowing way waiting indefinitely. Number two on your part, necessity of patience. Just in case that brother is becoming incorrigible, that sister is incorrigible, he's not just listening to the prompting of the spirit, you keep your patience knowing that uh, he said you have need of patience uh, but after you have done the will of God uh, you, you might inherit the promise uh, he said don't cast away your confidence that has a great recompense of reward for you have need of patience but after you have done all the will of God you might inherit the promise the third necessity necessity of prayer It is in the course of prayer that man's obstinacy is broken. Man's resistance is broken. While God was talking to Ananias to get him to go and minister to Saul, what was Saul doing? He prayed. He sustained the prayer. He sustained the prayer. While he kept on praying, God was walking on the resistance of Ananias. As you get ready to close, it's on words of prayer. I want us to know God's work did not start with us. It only end with us. We're just privileged operators, actors at different stages of God's long prophetic activities. Our resolve as individuals is to be sure that we are not a weak link in that chain. Our resolve should be that we hear what God wants for us individually, where He wants us to come in and take step promptly as He leads us. Praise the name of the Lord. I want us to pray one or two prayers before I drop the microphone. Can you rise with me? Let's lift up our hands, bless the Lord for a moment. Let's rejoice in God who counted us worthy to be part of his activities in times like this. Whatever you're doing in God's house, 
your singing, your offspring, your teaching, your giving. Just know uh, God made you a link in these his activities. You are important. Give him praise for the opportunity to be involved. While we are also committing and saying, you know, Lord, I, I, won't take, I won't take my opportunity for granted. Let's go at it to just, let, let's, let's, let's thank him and then rededicate ourselves to him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the privilege of life, the privilege to be involved in your chain of activities. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Help me, Father, to, maximize, to, to magnify the office and to take advantage of that privilege you've given me. Help me not to abuse it. Help me, Lord, not to, be, to be yielded and dedicated and consecrated to you. Help me to always remember there is a replacement. There's an alternative. You've just given me the first refuser, the opportunity to act and respond to you. Help me, Father, not to take what you've done, what you've given me for granted. Help me to use it maximally. Help me not to be a weak link in this chain of yours. Help me not to be a weak link in this chain. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. Blessed be your name, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. I want us to pray. Just two prayers more. Ananias had the secret to Saul's restoration. Ananias was the one that God gave the secret of Saul's restoration to. Saul has seen a man called Ananias. He's coming. To pray for you, lay hand on you, that you might receive your sight and you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that, that singular secret was given to Saul. It wasn't given to Peter, not given to John. It was Ananias. Peter had the secret to Cornelius' salvation. Wasn't given to James. Wasn't given to any other, not to Andrew. Not to Bartholomew. Was given to Peter. Elijah had the secret. To the sustenance of the widow of Zarephath. It was given to her. To him. Elijah had the secret. To the restoration. Of that, 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 that wife of the prophet. In second king. It was given to Elijah. What am I saying is. We are praying, Lord God, everyone in whose hand you are pulled the secret of my restoration, my healing, my breakthrough, my blessing, connect me to them. Whether you decide the plane, you just jam yourself in the plane, or you are at the bus station, inside church, whatever, Lord, whosoever you have put the secret of my restoration and my breakthrough in his or hand. Lord, connect me. The Bible said the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. Father, I'm asking of you today, you will order our steps. 
order our steps, O oh God, to mean the man, the woman, the people in whose hands the key to our restoration is kept, and people in whose hands the key to our breakthrough is kept, people in whose hands the key to our blessing is kept. We ask you'll will, you'll we lead us by your spirit. And when we meet them, we pray, help us to recognize them. When we meet such, help us to recognize them. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. As a clearer picture of what we are saying, David and his men lost everything. As Ziglag. But God gave them assurance. You recover everything. You pursue, you recover all. But the key, the guide, was in the hand of an Egyptian that was hanging between heaven and earth. He, he didn't even look it. It did not even look like the man that could have any useful information. He didn't look it at all. As a matter of fact, in the anger and the fury of the moment, they should have just... We are talking of serious matter. You are, you are lying there. But that's where the key is kept. Who are you? Say, I'm an Egyptian. A servant to an Amalekite. My, my master abandoned me here three days ago because I fell ill. I haven't eaten. I've given give him food. Give him water. And then he revived. And David said, do you know where this company is? Sir, I know. Can you take me to this company? Sir, I can. If you promise, you won't kill me. Sir, I won't kill you. Take me to the company. The key was in the hand May God connect you to everyone in whose hand you, the key of your restoration is, the key of your breakthrough, the key of your recovery. May God supernaturally connect you in the mighty name of Jesus. And when you meet them, may you recognize them. May the spirit be a witness with your spirit that this is the man, that is the woman in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I pray for your people. You command your blessings over everyone. I read the psalmist yesterday, and the psalmist said, Lord, command deliverances for Jacob. Friends, God's command overrides human argument. God's command overrides human reasoning. In the day of famine, God said to Elijah, You go to Brook Kerit. Hide yourself there. I have commanded the raven to feed you there. Oh, in my mind, I think the raven would have also needed the food. But it was under a divine command to take that supply to a particular location. And the, the raven did that morning and evening, morning and evening for the entire period. The Bible said the brook dried up. And then God said to Elijah, arise, go to Zarephath. I have commanded, check it, it's commanded a widow woman to sustain you there. And what was the woman doing? The woman was arguing. But the command of God will override the argument of man. Hey, 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 it's a prophet. You know what? I have just little flour left. Just little flour, little oil. And I've come to collect two sticks. That I might make it for me and my son. We eat and we die. That's human argument. But there's a commandment that is outstanding. God has commanded. And the commandment of God can override human argument. 
I pray God will command deliverances for you. I pray God to command deliverances for you. I pray God to command restoration for you. I pray God to command recovery for you. I pray God to command blessing for you. May God command breakthrough for you. And may the commandment of God override all human arguments. All human reasoning. May the commandment of God override all human argument. May the commandment of God on your behalf overcome every resistance. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. so much for listening. We have to end it here today, but it's been a real joy to come into your homes to unveil the truth of God's Word. I pray that the Word of God you have received will sink deeply into your hearts and bring forth tangible fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. In addition, I pray that the truth you've embraced will not only set you free, but it will empower you to impact your environment positively as God's representative in your sphere of influence. Till we meet again on this platform, remain sandwiched between the peace of God and the God of peace. God bless you richly. Bye, Bye for, for now. now.